0: Welcome to the latest Hollywell
1: Trust Conversations podcast. In this episode, we're considering waiting lists, but for once we're not talking about healthcare, but this time it's housing. Joined as ever by Paul Gosling. Paul, how's the farm? It's as good as ever. Thank good you. Good stuff. That's great. So, Paul, can you explain the situation when it comes to housing in Northern Ireland for us?
2: Yeah, we, we have very long waiting lists for social housing and what is probably a related phenomenon we've had an explosion in the private rental market.
1: Okay, um, so cutting to the chase then, let's get to the figures. What's the length of the social housing waiting list?
2: Okay, so the most recent social housing waiting list figures for Northern Ireland date from March of last year. At that time, there were 44,426 applicants on the list. Of those, over 10,000 were regarded as homeless and over 31,000 were in housing stress.
1: Okay, so they're significant numbers, but can you put it in context then, Paul? By it's like if that's a demand for housing, um, what's the figures like for house building?
2: Pretty small. Um, yeah. There were a mere nine hundred and twenty-two completions of social housing units of accommodation, by which we mean both houses and apartments, in the twenty-one twenty-two year. So that's just nine hundred and twenty-two completions against more than forty-four thousand applications on the list. Mm. At that rate, it would take over four decades to catch up with demand, except demand itself is forever increasing. Just in the Derry and Strabane Council area, for the last year, there were 20% increase in the number of social housing applicants. So there's no chance, really, of catching up. Mm. What we have also seen over recent years, which is perhaps unsurprising given this situation, is that there's been a big increase in the private rental sector in Northern Ireland. The private rental sector is now the same size as the social housing sector in terms of the number of housing units rented out. Now private landlords are responsible for 13% of properties and that, as I say, is the same as the housing executive and the housing associations combined. And quite a lot of the private sector rental properties are former social housing units that were bought under right to buy and were subsequently rented out by the new owners there are frequent complaints about the quality of some of the properties in the private rental sector.
1: Yeah, I've heard some of those myself. So, Paul, those are the figures. Um, And given the nature of the work of Halliwell Trust and some of the conversations that we have, what do we know about cross-community and housing integration?
2: So, I spoke to the Housing Executive, uh, which points to the Northern Ireland Life and Time Survey. That indicates that 79% of respondents would like to live in an integrated, non-segregated housing
1: community. Okay. And so... Does that equate the applicants prioritising this in terms of where they want their love? Uh, Not really, no. Uh, The housing executive says that practicalities
2: are the main focus for tenants, or would-be tenants. Specifically, they want to live close to their parents, other family and friends. So that doesn't really lead to cross-community integration. Now, the housing executive tells us that social housing segregation is most common in the urban parts of Belfast, Derry and Craigavon. But it's a. It is proud of its social. Uh, it's, sorry, I should say this. It's proud of their shared housing programme, which has grown from initial ten T box schemes comprising four hundred and eighty three homes to sixty nine schemes that comprise one thousand nine hundred and seventy three homes now. Now those are being delivered by eleven housing associations across all council areas.
1: Okay, so T box for those people that don't know it's together building a united community which is the executive office uh community relations or good relations strategy and we receive funding under that strategy so we're grateful for that um but paul social housing isn't the only context here that 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 we live in what about prices in owner occupied market is there a premium or come to that it does count for living in like mixed communities
2: Um, There's not a clear answer to that. Uh, In terms of owner occupation, the more expensive areas have consistently tended to be cross-community, so you can't really break down what element of that uh, in terms of the pricing comes from social integration, but it certainly doesn't seem to do any harm in terms of the pricing.
1: Okay, so what else do we know about community integration and housing then?
2: Well, uh, the especially positive news is the big fall in the number of households that have had to be rehoused because of sectarian and other intimidation. Now, in 2002-03, there were over 1,000 households seeking assistance because of intimidation. By 2022, this had fallen to just 171 households, so down from 1,000 to 171 in just over 20 years. Now, there's also been a comparable fall in properties acquired after forced evacuation under the SPED scheme. Now, the use of that fell from 382 properties in 2003-04 down to nothing in 21-22 and just one in 22-3.
1: Okay, so that at least is good news. Um, But as we travel around, Paul, if you travel around the area or surrounding areas, there's a lot of homes being built. Can you give us any numbers on that and see if we're going to make any dent in these huge waiting list figures?
2: Now, as you say, Gerard, there is a lot of accommodation construction taking place at present in both Derry and in Belfast. As you walk around the city centre of Belfast, you see a lot of the city centre being Mm -hmm. restructured, basically, into, in particular, student apartments. Mm -hmm. Now, in Derry, there's some very big new housing developments. Now, the Braidwater Company is constructing a new community, what they call the Cashel, which is adjacent to Bunkrana Road, which will create an additional, initial 740 homes and eventually 2,500 new homes and that's a mix of owner-occupied and social housing. That is a £450 million scheme. Now the social housing partner there is Apex Housing Association which will have an initial 400 new homes and eventually 800. Now planning approval was given last year to a more controversial scheme at Springtown for 250 new homes in a proposal from Heartlands um, together with Apex Now that was approved contrary to advice from planning officials. That is now to be developed by Apex in conjunction with Kevin Watson Construction over the next two years or so. Now Apex is also leading on other developments. One of those is a mixed community and private sector project at Meenan Square next to the Free Dairy Wall. That will contain a small number of housing units and that will be subject to community consultation that's likely to commence soon. Apex is also leading on the development of more than a thousand homes in the Skeg area. Uh, that has taken place over the last eight years. Now Choice Housing Association will construct an additional 244 homes close to Skeg, expanding the Upper Gallia Road area. Choice, in partnership with Southbank Square Limited, is also building another 252 homes on the waterside by the Grantia Roundabout. As well as this, Radius has completed a scheme building 119 homes in the Cregan area. And Habantag Housing Association is concentrating on new apartments, 24 of which have recently been constructed on Foyle Road. And there's another apartment block that was completed recently on Duke Street on Waterside, And there's a further 42 unit now being constructed on Duke Street. So you can see there's a lot taking place, actually. There's a
1: lot of building happening there, and, and that's very welcome. Um, but I think it's fair to say not everyone is happy with all the recent developments.
2: Well, that's true. Um, Now, businesses in the Patrick Street area of Derry have specifically expressed anger over what they regard as antisocial behaviour by some of the tenants in a triangle housing association scheme on Patrick Street. Now, um, I'm sorry, I can have to quote here from the triangle. They wouldn't put anyone forward, but they gave us a statement, and I'll just read that out. Mm -hmm. The association is aware of issues relating to antisocial behaviour in and around the development of Patrick Street in Derry, Londonderry. Senior staff members from Triangle recently met with the local elected representative for the area, the PSNI and the city centre initiative to discuss tenant and local community safety. Security arrangements at the block have subsequently been increased. The association is proactively managing antisocial behaviour at the block and remains committed to working collaboratively with tenants, the PSNI and other stakeholders to improve community safety within the vicinity of its development and the
1: wider area okay so let's hope that things compl- uh improve there but there's also issues paul around temporary accommodation and the arrangements there can you let us know a wee bit about what, you, what do you mean by temporary accommodation before you get into some of the detail well basically the, these are people who are homeless who need short-term accommodation mm. um
2: some of the short-term accommodation is not actually that short-term in fact uh, and some of it is also for people who are um, facing charges and have to move out of their normal area, but also you've got people, as I say, that are homeless, perhaps they are, have got particular health issues, and also we have people that are migrants that have come over here and uh, have uh, uh, need to, uh, uh, somewhere to live. Okay. Now, the thing is that this is an issue that's not really had the publicity which personally I feel it, it requires. Uh, there's been a substantial increase in demand for temporary accommodation across Northern Ireland, with a vast rise in spending on this. Now, the total spending on temporary accommodation across Northern Ireland has jumped from £5.8 million in the 28-19 year to £23.7 million in the
1: 22-3 year. That's some jump. Um, So locally, what's the, the situation around temporary accommodation and dairy? Well, the spend in Derry and Strabane has risen from
2: £930,000 to £5.8 million pounds over that same four-year time period. I mean, it's, it's a pretty massive increase. Yeah. Now, the increase for Belfast is much smaller, which increased from £1.6 to £3.7 in that time.
1: OK, so who have you talked to uh, Paul this week to talk about that situation?
2: Well, I spoke with Marissa McMahon, who campaigns on housing rights for participation and practice of rights. Uh, otherwise known as PPR, and also the Simon community. Uh, And I began by asking her for an overview on the rental market in Northern Ireland and what that market situation means for people trying to move into a property.
0: I know from very close friends and family members that it's basically impossible. It was always quite difficult. Um, And people would have, again, personally, speaking from personal experience, people would have, you know, went to areas a bit outside of their if they wanted to be closer to family, but just that we bit removed if if you know what I mean, um, because it would have been easier to, to get somewhere to rent and now they're finding it absolutely impossible. People are expecting landlords are expecting, you know, two, three months rent up front, um, where it would have never been like that, due to just be a guarantee, so much competition now. Um, uh, more so than there ever was. And that's reflected then as well in the in the housing waiting list figures. as I'm sure
2: they're very, very long, aren't they? Yeah.
0: Over or was it reaching forty five thousand there recently? Households waiting to be to be housed. Um and that's a scale that has never been heard of. And quite frankly, shouldn't be. Shouldn't we shouldn't be talking about forty five thousand people waiting to be housed in six counties, you know?
2: And it's forty five thousand households, of course, which means that exactly. the actual number of people, including dependent children, will be significantly higher than that.
0: Yeah. Most definitely. Um, as I said, it's counted in households. I know through our work that we as of March this year, there was eight, over just over eight thousand households in Belfast recognised as FDA full duty applicant status. Um and of that over five thousand five thousand and forty-nine were under eighteen, so children. And of that, two thirds of that five thousand were kids waiting in north and west Belfast, so acute thousand need. Um, I think it was like one thousand one hundred and something in North Belfast, and almost two thousand two hundred in West Belfast.
2: Now, as well as the general problem, we've had a massive increase in temporary housing demand. Um, so what do you think are are the reasons for this?
0: Um, as yeah, across the board, most definitely, there's been isn't it? There was something like over three thousand odd. Three and a half thousand children from the start of this year newly on this waiting list now. Um, and that is because people are being um evicted, landlords are either selling or you know, they're getting higher rent. We've seen it on social media, we've heard it in the news that one family's being put out, somebody else has taken on the house because the rent's gone up significantly, people can't um can't afford it. There's issues as well with changes to how people are you know, on the waiting list, you're only given that isn't it like two reasonable offers and you know, nothing is working towards a solution. All of it seems to be working towards adding to this never ending waiting list.
2: Are there other social problems that are connected with this? I mean, it certainly feels like that living in Derry, where you've got an increase in provision of temporary accommodation and, and that seems to be connected with quite a lot of broader social
3: problems.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, they all come hand in hand, cost of living crisis, climate crisis, you know, people were somewhat protected during COVID where they were, you know, the 12-week period, if you were being put out of your home, you know, was extended or we seen during COVID as well, Paul, people basically lifted off streets and placed into somewhere warm and safe um, and we no longer have that option, we also have people in what's supposed to be temporary accommodation for often years. We've people that we meet living in hostels for years. Um, we've also people um coming into this country and being placed in hotels, you know, while they're here seeking asylum. So and they're not even counted on that housing waiting list, it's a totally separate issue until they are granted asylum and then they join that never ending waitlist. waiting list. So It definitely is something that, no matter what the minister or permanent secretary or chief executive or whoever has held the department, it hasn't like whatever they're doing over the years. It hasn't and isn't working, and something needs to change drastically. I mean, somewhere somebody worked it out recently that, like on average, since twenty ten, collective effort. To build social homes has been something like a turnover of 900 a year. That's
3: right. And uh,
0: uh, uh, 900, 940, something like that. But at, at the current rate, it would take over 50 years or something just to that's clear hard. what we have currently. And that's if nobody ever from here on in comes back, comes onto that waiting list. Um, and people are in accommodation that's not secure. You know, landlords are affecting people.
2: But as well as that, Marissa, we've got, I mean, just pulled out the figures here, that uh, in 2018-19, we spent, Northern Ireland spent less than £6 million on temporary accommodation. And in the last financial year, that went up to £24 million. So that's what a fourfold increase. I mean, what on earth is happening here? And and that is just money that's being spent in ways that is not strategically useful.
0: Exactly. It's, you know, it's it's paying housing benefit or it's paying landlords um and nobody's saying that people shouldn't be entitled to housing benefit or shouldn't be paying landlords but it's clearly not sustainable you know we're going to have landlords that's neither here nor there so we should have landlords that you know are regulated that are updating homes and heating systems and the houses are habitable but we also need to be looking at building homes and building more social homes and building homes of people that are going to Last the test of time?
2: Because quite clearly, as well as having a lot of people in temporary accommodation, we've got some private landlords that are making a lot of money because of the lack of supply, and not all of them are providing really very suitable accommodation for people in need, are they?
0: No, and I mean, you've only to look at that on, well, it's, on, it's mainstream media, but as well as social media pictures of damp of heating systems that aren't functioning of overcrowding you know of serious disrepair and nobody's labeling all landlords like that but there are landlords out there that are making a hell of a lot of money I mean like recently i seen a house off for rent in West Belfast for like 750 pound per calendar month for like a two up two down it gets it's on a four people are struggling as it is people are struggling to you know feed their children <laughs> to heat their homes your rent's going up, people with mortgages who are coming to the end of their, their fixed term, you know, the, the interest rates have went through the roof, so people's mortgages are often doubling. And I'm sure they're going, how are we going to afford this? You know, are they going to end up on a housing waiting list somewhere? And in the meantime, then, as you know, I work for a, a campaign, Take Back the City um, Coalition, that has identified various pieces of land, but publicly owned land, which could be used to build homes on. We've identified you know an architect who has come up with amazing designs. We are campaigning and have been for so many years, and we just do not see the political will.
2: Before we expand on that a bit further, Marissa, I just want to go back to this issue of some of the accommodation that is short term because some of it is hostile accommodation where we have people in serious social need and difficulties who are being told that during the daytime they can't stay in their rooms and they have to go out and about and as the weather gets colder that really is not suitable accommodation for people in serious social physical need is it?
0: No it's not it's definitely not and I know I've worked in and out of various family hostels um, as well as what would be deemed you know single person hostels and if people are in those who have children, like your family members can't come over, your children, if you have access to your children, you can't bring them in there. I do know where people are not even asked, they're told to leave, hmm. What is supposed to be their home. Like all, so where do you go all day, every day? Where do you sit, where do you, you know? There's also the, the issue with hostels is that if, if you're working, it's totally unaffordable. You know, it's extremely expensive if you have to pay rent for a hostel. And then there's the bigger issue that these aren't temporary. It's very, very rare you'll meet anybody that has been in a hostel temporary, as in a, a matter of weeks or months. It's a hell of a lot longer.
2: Now, as you say, you're involved in campaigning for PPR and the Simon community. So what are you saying are the best solutions that we could adopt?
0: Yeah, so I, the, the campaign that I currently work on is Take Back the City and solutions are out there like we're not the only people but we're you know we're one of the bigger campaigns in terms of identifying land and finding those who can build um it's a coalition made up of people you know with various expertise from building architecture there's academics there's town and country planning association there's people who are you know horticulture and and growing and all of that have identified how we could build homes for people who most need them have identified that need um and are willing to, to carry these plans forward you know we've met with officials the campaigners have met with um various politicians as well
2: and what asking, are the shortages
0: so far what we have found is is political will is asking for land i mean land we've seen land be rezoned. At the drop of a hat. Um, in this in the city, and I'm sure you've seen it as well down in Derry. We've seen how things can happen um through planning committee quite quickly. And um, what campaigners have been met with is just, you know, if I'm being honest, is excuse after excuse. First of all, it was there was no land. This was years ago. So campaigners found land, then it was there's no money. Campaigners worked out how social homes are funded brought that to people and as i say regardless of which ministers held the department for communities it just has seemed to be zero political will
2: now as as you say marissa you're you're based in belfast and you walk around belfast at the moment the city center there's an awful lot of construction of new apartments going on in the city center and so explain why that doesn't meet the need that you've identified
0: uh, yeah there is and there is i mean i'm from north belfast so down in Rabbit, my parents are from Rabbit Beach. Today there is construction happening for student accommodation, which we're seeing. Um, and yes, we need student accommodation. Yes, we need city centre living, but we also need homes for families. We need homes for people with, you know, various abilities. We need homes for our aging community, who older population, and it's well and good having apartments in Belfast city centre but if you're priced out of these apartments if they're not suitable for your needs then it's not meeting that target that the minister had said you know 100,000 homes were going to be delivered. If we're not building on publicly available land if we're not looking at all options if we're not changing our thought and our actions pretty quickly then it's going to get a hell of a lot worse than it already is.
2: And I suppose another element of this, which I mean, it's not central, but uh, uh, on a periphery, is if you are encouraging as Belfast City Council, people, students to move out of homes in multiple occupation to move into apartments, you might actually be having four people who were living in one home moving into four apartments. So it's not necessarily creating the level of supply that meets what's being vacated, if you see what I mean.
0: Yep, it's very true. Actually, when you, I wouldn't have really been thinking along those lines, but like, that makes sense. And that's another thing as well. You know, there is a shortage. Well, there's a shortage of homes in general, but you're meeting people, again, from personal experience. I know of um very close friends and family members who are maybe in a three-bed house that no longer need it. Their families have grew up and moved out and they would be quite happy with a one-bed flat or apartment or, you know, maybe need a bungalow. And it's just not there, you know, so they've no other options. So they're in this house that they don't need, that somebody could be making use of. And there's no, there's nowhere then, or there's, we don't build homes here, you know, it can be adapted or the way you would say elsewhere in the world.
2: And so you would hope that the the social housing providers would recognise these needs and would themselves take on leadership, uh, irrespective of what's happening with politicians. Now, clearly there's a problem with the housing executive, because of accountancy rules which prevent it using income to, uh, to, to to build new properties. But why aren't the housing associations doing more to to fill the gap? Well,
0: that's, that's probably the million dollar question. Is that the, the phrase that they use? I mean, if you're looking at, I don't know roughly how many housing associations there are, but if they're only churning out on average 900 odd homes across the board a year, then I would be asking those types of questions you know what is the problem like what is the issue because surely with all their expertise and all their knowledge and all their wisdom you would imagine it would be so much more
1: okay so thanks to marisa for that paul who else did you speak to
2: um i also spoke to with paddy gray who is emeritus professor of housing at ulster university and an experienced housing association board member, I asked him why housing associations are not able to meet the demand for social housing.
3: Well, I think certainly the um the it's the funding is the key thing as well, Paul. The uh you know the associations are working flat out uh, to meet targets that have been set by by the department for them, and the housing executive provides the funding. You know, but it's a limited amount of funding that can be provided, so. Over the years, I mean, due to many reasons, not just the uh, the fact that there was lack of supply. I suppose during COVID and place like that, there we we didn't build as much as we should have done. I'm I'm saying in general, i not me not me as a part of a housing association, but you know, and I think that's the, that's where the deficit has arisen uh, because of the um the, the 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 lack of social housing that was built over say the last seven eight nine years, and and again in the early '90s as well when the housing executive stopped building. Uh, social housing and housing associations took on that mantle and again it was a, a part of uh, a learning process you know I'm trying to build up the capacity to do that so I wouldn't blame housing associations in particular what I would suggest is that one targets aren't being met consistently and secondly I don't even think the targets are right I think that they should be higher and what
2: about the construction sector is the construction sector in a place where it can meet a demand from housing associations
3: well, at the moment, it can, and I mean, it has been doing so, and it's been working in partnership with housing associations. But again, you know, the construction sector in Northern Ireland is, is small. And, um, and again, a lot of it arising out of the crash whenever there wasn't really a lot of house building taking place. So, so the construction industry didn't remain steady. And, and of course, then materials, uh, everything was going up, the, 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 the skills, uh, the, you know, trying to get staff, to work in the construction sector, and uh, and and as I said, materials, costs of uh, labour, all of this has been going up quite uh, substantially. In fact, exponentially in the last in the last few years, and that's putting an increase in pressure on getting, uh, you know, houses built.
2: And is there a, a still a tale from the impact of the two thousand and eight recession in terms of what that's meant for the construction sector and the financing of housing associations?
3: It, it certainly is. The um, the you know, after the crash, you, you know, prices here dropped substantially. But then again, they had gone up substantially in the previous two or three years, they went up by fifty percent a year, and uh, they they never really caught up again. They haven't caught up to what they were at pre two thousand eight levels. Whereas in, in other parts of the UK, certainly that has not been the case, and and in Ireland, uh, in Southern Ireland, you know, prices of have gone well above what they had been at that stage. So you know we're still playing in a catch up situation, and um and and hence you know the it's been good on one side for the property market because people were able to buy at cheaper prices, but the other side of the coin was that many people were left in negative equity and caught uh, with their homes that they couldn't couldn't sell them and move on to maybe larger homes or whatever.
2: And of course, several developments we're seeing, for example, in dairy at the moment are mixed developments, which are partnerships between the private sector developer and social housing partners. And presumably, if the house prices aren't reaching uh, a sufficient level, then there's going to be reluctance by some of the development partners to, to engage in those uh, m- mixed developments.
3: No, I think that, you know, they, they certainly there has been a willingness uh, for the the private sector to work along with housing associations and you know and again uh, those associations that have been able to borrow money in order to, uh, c- to complete the the building of their of what they need and certainly it helps to, to you know sell an area if a housing association is is doing a, a proportion of housing in that area next 10 years very it's very good because it means we don't have these old uh, monolithic type sort of uh, housing housing estates with stigma attached to them, which there shouldn't be anyway. But, you know, whenever you have people living in a mixed area, it's it's much better for the, the housing market.
1: Okay. So thanks to both Patty and Marissa for taking the time to talk with us. That's been illuminating and shows, I think, the scale of the challenge that we're facing dealing with housing here. Um, so thanks to everybody who took part, as I just said. Thanks to Paul and to Michael for editing. And thanks, as always, to the Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland for the funding of this podcast. And remember, you can get all previous episodes on the Hollywell Trust website.